Bible handy this morning. Open it with me to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, the continuation from a couple weeks ago as we started looking at the life of Stephen, started off as a waiter, and then he became a deacon, and now he becomes a theologian here in chapter 7. It's, a, it's an exciting chapter. We're in our series I titled Before You Go because I shared with you each and every week that the emphasis of the book of Acts isn't so much on the acts of the apostles or disciples or deacons, as in Stephen's case here, but it really the focus is on the person of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit not only was doing then, but what the Holy Spirit continues to do today. And the book of Acts is just a historical account of things that occurred when we look at it hundred years from the time of Christ's ascension back into heaven, and but that work continues today. But still, history is still being written. It's being written today. There's opportunity every time we come together for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in our midst, for the gifts to be utilized, for lives to be changed. There's people that come into the kingdom of heaven and for all of us to walk in obedience to the word of God. What a blessing that is for us as we draw close to the Lord, and I pray that we do that today. We're going to look at as an overview of Acts. We'll spend a couple weeks in this, this chapter here, in verses 1 through 51, and then really focus on Stephen's death at the end that we'll look at that next week. But I titled it, it really being a two-part message, I titled it this morning, A Sermon to Die For. And you think about, it, here's Stephen, it's stands up in the midst of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the Jews, and he preaches one sermon, and then he gets killed. One, one sermon. But man, what a sermon it is, because it's the longest sermon recorded for us in the book of Acts. So there's a lot that we can glean from it. And there's a lot that I, I really pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to you and me today with regard to the power of God's Word. Paul, in, in the book of Corinthians, he says that, that he didn't come with eloquence or you know, persuasive words of men, but he came in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I read that, and some of you probably hold the same belief as I think that Paul, when he penned the, the letter to the church at Corinth there, he was referencing a time in his own life. My wife and I just had the opportunity to go to Greece, and we were there on Mars Hill, and it was really an exciting opportunity to stand there where the Apostle Paul would have stood there and taught in the sermon there. And here he is looking at all the gods that, that the Greeks worship, and then they have this one statue to this labeled the unknown God. And Paul says, I want to tell you about this unknown God. But yet he did it in such a way, I think, because of his knowledge. We think about the Apostle Paul that he's, not, it's not that it's a great compliment. It used to be a compliment to say that you went to Harvard, right? And now anymore, it seems there's not a whole bunch of people that graduated from Harvard that are even telling people that they even attended Harvard currently right now, just to, due to the state of that, that institution. And you think about that because Harvard began as a, it was a missionary outpost. It, it started, it was founded by uh, believers and it was, it was created to be a training ground for clergymen. And you look about where Harvard started and where it is today, it says a lot about our country. But the apostle Paul, he studied under 
a man named Gamaliel, which was the equivalent would have been like Harvard in his day for someone to say, Hey, I, I graduated from Harvard, right? And they go, okay, you're somebody. And Paul, Paul, he could wax eloquence as it were when he spoke. And so he's there and, and he's on Mars Hill and, and he's tantalizing them with the things that he's sharing. And so much so that they keep wanting him to come back. And the reason they want him to come back is I believe is that he really was trying to do his ministry in such a way that he wasn't necessarily naming Jesus. And then in the book of first Corinthians, he comes to the place where he goes, I'm from this point on in my life, all I'm going to preach is Christ and him crucified. And the reason I hold to that is because on Mars Hill, they liked what Paul said so much that they kept inviting Paul back to come and, and they wanted him to come back and speak. But once you start proclaiming the gospel, people don't necessarily want you to come back and speak. And we see that in the life of Stephen, and we'll see that ultimately in the life of Paul. You know, he's ultimately going to die as a martyr himself for the sake of the gospel, for proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. But there's so much that as we look at Stephen's life, I was just praying with Randy and I was telling me there's things that we go through in this life. And when you're looking at your life today, you'll go through circumstance and situations and you'll go, man, where's God? Because you just can't see God in whatever that you're going through. Why is this happening to me? And there's really no good answer for it apart from just the sovereignty of God and that when God is working in our lives, and we'll see this in chapter seven as Stephen brings this out, is that God is always working from an eternal perspective. You and I are always functioning from a finite one. We see basically what's in front of us, and we don't always see that very clearly. But everything that God does, he does with eternity in mind. And once we wrap our minds around that and we understand then the purpose, and just like today I was sharing, here you are praying with people, right? That, that's the work of heaven. That's the work of eternity. And it's amazing the things that we pray for today. Some of the things that we'll pray for, they'll be immediate, right? God will just answer that and boom, it's done. And then for some of us, we'll pray and we'll keep praying. Like some of you, you're very good. At, and I love it when you do this, you go, hey, how's that going? I've been praying for you in this area. And that's why we need to pray together often and tell each other because somebody can go, oh, God already answered that prayer. And you go, well, thanks for letting let me know because I can mark that off my list now. Great. And then some things, God, sometimes you, if, let me just ask this by a show of hands. Have you ever prayed for something and then just given up on it completely and not prayed for it? And then God answered it just by a show of hands. You ever done that? Yeah. A lot of you. And you go, God does that. You go, it's always in his timing. His timing is perfect in every way. And yet, do we understand that? You go, no, that's why we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. Yeah. I look at chapter seven here. And here's Stephen, the sermon, he ultimately was killed for it. And so the religious Jews, they would think, logically, you'd go, they think they won, right? That they've killed Stephen. They have silenced the message. Uh, they killed the messenger, but did they kill the message? No, they didn't kill the message at all. And Stephen's blood, you might say then, became the fertilizer. And I love this thought. His blood became the fertilizer in which God would then grow the gospel where it's in Jerusalem. Now it's getting ready to head into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so there, there's so much. We, I could teach this one chapter in so many different directions because there's, it's packed with so much truth 
and so much encouragement, so much exhortation for us. And so we'll go touch on the surface of it here this morning and pray that uh, the Lord would use it to speak to you as he has to me. Let's take a moment and we'll pray, and then we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, because, Lord, we know that, Lord, your word is life, and it's life-giving. And, Lord, it's why we like to study it. Sometimes we will read it and we don't really think about the power of it. We don't think about it being life-giving. But in some ways, it's just like eating food. We don't necessarily look at everything that we eat and understand completely the nutrient value or how it breaks down in our body and our body uses it and and creates energy so that we can function and we can live. Um, We don't necessarily remember what we ate two days ago. And we know that the enemy of our soul will try to distract us from feeding on the word of God, as Jesus, you said that man can't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But that today we just be reminded that your word is food. It's food for our soul. And Lord, as we just feed on it and Lord, chew on it, meditate upon it, Lord, it provides all that you have for us. And Lord, we pray as we open up your word and we study it together, that you would encourage us, that you'd strengthen us, that you would empower us. And Lord, and like Stephen, that you would use us, Lord, in the lives of other people. We know we're here for a purpose. It's not just to take up space. God, you chose us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're born again by your spirit. Your spirit lives within us. We work around people. We live around people. We make contact with people. And so, Lord, help us to live like the people of God that you desire us to be. And Lord, as we do, may we just experience your presence in such a fresh way. It's what I love about Christmas, to think that, Lord, you came to earth and we could behold you. But we got to, in a sense, touch God personally, that you are, as we'll sing and celebrate at Christmas, you are our Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, thank you for this understanding as we study through the book of Acts, that, Lord, you're with us, that when the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, God, you're in us, you're with us, you come upon us, and may we be sensitive to you. Lord, may we be, during this Christmas season especially, aware, Lord, of your presence in our life, in this world. Use us for your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It reminds me of a a, quote I read this week, and it just really, I've shared it a few times because it just so excited me. It was like the context of it was, you're in heaven, and you're there with Moses and, and you get to meet Moses for the first time. And the person said to Moses, they go, Moses, they go, tell me about when you took your staff and you parted the Red Sea and you know how you would just sit there and think about in heaven, you're going to be around all the, the, the heroes of faith that we read about in the book of Hebrews, right? And then you're there with Moses and Moses tells you all about his staff and how he, he trusted God and he points it towards the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts and the children of Israel cross over on dry land. And then it closes up and swallows up all the Egyptian, you know, army. And he tells you all about that. And you're all excited. And you go, man, thank you, Moses. And you start to walk away. And Moses stops you and goes, hey, hey, I got a question for you. And with that same kind of glee that you had when you were asking him about the staff, he looks at you and he goes, tell me, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living within you. And I was like, man, it gave me chills. I was like, think about that. And you go, and then I thought, wow, isn't that so sad in in some respects, how we can go through life and not even be aware 
that God is with us, that God is in us every step of the way. There's nothing, like I said, when we celebrate communion and we go, take that bread and that cup and you go, he is in you and he is with you everywhere that you go. And man, to know that and to enjoy that, even in the midst of heartache and hurt and all the things that go on in this life, to know that God is with you. And I think that's the thing that just keeps jumping off the page as I go through the book of Acts is that reminder, this is about the work of the Holy Spirit in you and what the Holy Spirit will accomplish if, like I said, we pray always, God, forgive me my sin, but I, I become more aware that my greatest sins and your greatest sins aren't the sins of commission. They're not the things that you set out to do. I believe that the greater sins that we commit are the sins of omission, the things that we failed to do, the things that we had an opportunity to do, but we weren't even aware of it. We just get so busy about ourselves or in this world today, we become victims, right? It's always us and our whole focus is me. And as opposed to why not me, that God could be magnified, that God could be glorified in our lives. And I've loved studying this. And like I said, not only has it been a great encouragement, but it's also been a great conviction in my own life. And so you're not alone as you study through this to learn how to cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit and to appreciate it and to enjoy it and to be sensitive, as the Bible says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. He's yearning for us and he's yearning to do things in and through us. And that's one of the things I love about Christmas time. How many have been shopping already? You've been in the grocery store or you've been just out where you deal with a, a teller or cash salesperson and you hear more and more now it's what they had happy holidays, right? Happy holidays. And I just encourage you, what I try to do in those moments, it's like, oh, you know what it is? I go, what makes it happy? I go, is that it's, we can also have a Merry Christmas because of Christ. Because really, what is Christmas about? It, it's about Christ. It's about Christ being born into this world. Pastor Mike Cosper, he, he taught a message a couple of Wednesdays ago, men's Bible study in the morning. That's actually open to anybody. And he talked about that, the fact that we have this relationship with this God who broke through time, right? That AD, we think of after the death of Christ and BC, the period before Christ, BC and AD were separated by what? The birth of Jesus Christ, that God himself came into this world and was born amongst us and again, lived with us and revealed himself to us and showed us God and gave us an opportunity to not only to be saved, but to have a relationship with him that will last for eternity and something to be treasured. And so when I look at Stephen, and, and like I said, Stephen started off what we read, he was a waiter, right? He was waiting on tables and he ends up getting chosen because of his faithfulness of being a waiter. He gets chosen to be a deacon, right? Because of the, the situation with the Hellenistic Jews, the widows that weren't being cared for. And, and then now, like I said, he, we see him as a theologian here in, in chapter seven. And so Stephen's just a guy, just like all of us here, but God uses him in a very profound way. And so that interests me to go, when you look at anything you like, whether if you like sports or if you're into the arts and you're into music, when you study how a person plays the guitar, they play the piano or someone shoots a basketball or whatever they might do, we all find somebody in those fields and we will look and hey, how can this person be either a mentor or a model to me? And so Stephen, in many ways, is a tremendous model for us. And, and I look back to chapter six and in verse five, 
And it says, everyone liked this idea and they chose the following Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So we look at Stephen when he was chosen to be a deacon, they looked at his life. So when we look at his life, they go, what did they see? They see a man that was full of faith. So I ask you today, then the Bible says that faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing comes by what? The word of God. Yeah. We can grow in faith just like Stephen. You go, how do you do it? Part of what you're doing today, that we're in church, we're in fellowship, we open up the Bible, we read it, we study it, we learn, and we grow, and it says, end of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Jesus answers the question. The Father gives the Holy Spirit to who? To all who ask. Who's going to ask? What's the person who's born again of the Spirit of God, a person who wants to be in relationship with God? wants to walk in God's ways because you realize you can't do it on your own. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit and God gives us that. So here's Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Verse eight goes on in chapter six. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. That's really an important thought when you think about that. He was had tremendous grace, but he also had power. Sometimes we'll go, when we're powerless, we might be more gracious. But here's a guy that says he's full of God's grace and power and says, performing amazing miracles and signs amongst the people. And then in verse 10, it goes down and it says, and none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit, which Stephen spoke. So he, by being a man of faith, being in the word of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, remember knowledge is what? And knowledge is just growing and growing in our world today. You can't even keep up with it, right? But wisdom doesn't come from the world. The Bible says wisdom comes from where? Comes from God, right? Knowledge, you might say, is the accumulation of fact. Wisdom is the application of it. Really doesn't do any good. It's in a car. You can put the biggest motor in it. I've ever seen this before. When I was in high school, I had a friend that he, his dad was a, a mechanic and they built this car, put this big old motor in it. And then we took it out and he was going to see how fast it go and he blew it up. And I was, we didn't know what in the heck happened. Well, his dad said, I told you, you had to change the rear end. We're thinking, what does the rear end have to do with how fast the car goes? And you go, because it has the ability to take the power that's in the engine and transfer it to the wheels to make them turn. And when they don't sync up, you go, it doesn't matter how much, you know, motor that you have. And, and it's so true. And you think about that, we can gain all kinds of knowledge and we think knowledge is power. You heard that in the world, knowledge is power. But man, if you don't know how to apply it, what good is all that knowledge? And God says he gives wisdom to his children. He gives wisdom to us just simply by asking. doesn't take away the studying at all. We do study. But the application, God is going to go here. This is when and here is how I want you to do it. And then we see in verse 15, it goes down. It says, and at this point, everyone in the highest council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel. So this is what we know about Stephen. Like he, if you ever talk to somebody and they're excited about what they're talking about and you go, man, they were just, their face was a glow, right? They, and then there's some people like, Hey, I mean, it's like salespeople, right? If they really, really like what they're selling, I, I like talking to them because I like hearing people's story about the things that they're into. And even if I'm not into it is man, one thing I can't take away from you, you're passionate. And they're going, do you want to buy it? No. But I like the fact that you're passionate. It's like, they, I don't care if you care if I'm passionate. I want you to buy. And you go, I was that close, but no. But you were really good. And you're trying to affirm them that you're really good. Because there's something about that. If the people are excited. My, my grandkids, they're there all the time. They'll come up, Opa, 
and they're just going to tell me about some new toy that they got or something that they're into. It's never what they did wrong. They're not going to, they're not excited about that, but they want to tell you, they want to share the things that they are excited about. My hope, my prayer for us as Christians in the world today, even as dark as the world is, and you could see how the enemy would use this, right? When things are getting darker, what is that expression? Diamonds shine brightest against what? Black velvet. Have you ever gone to a, a jewelry store? If you married here and you went, I remember when Lee and I were getting, we were engaged, we went to the, the store, they brought out all these diamonds and they lay them down on there. And thank God for black velvet because we couldn't really afford a decent sized diamond. A, a big diamond will shine against anything, right? But a tiny diamond stands out. So even when they put that little one on, they're like, wow, honey, look at how that stands out. You know, as long as you wear it in the dark, I guess it'll, you know, it'll work. But the beauty of that is it doesn't matter how small that thing is against black velvet. It, there's the ability for it to shine. And Jesus said that our lives are to be like a light that's set on a hill, right? That can't be hidden and to experience that joy. And they saw that on Stephen's face. And it's one of these things, like I said, you look at that and you go, and it gets, and it's the opposite. It'd be like, if somebody knocks at your door, right? You get, how many get the solar guys or gals that come to you? Anybody get those? They come to your, yeah, they come on. If they knock on your door and they go, usually when you open up the door, they, it's almost like they go, Hey, cause they're trying to project themselves as what energetic and you need solar. But I mean, what if they just came up and they go, hi, solar guy. You, you might listen just because you go, it's pathetic. But no, you'd probably be really turned off by it. But the same thing can be like with the gospel. Like, hey, you should share the gospel with that person. Like somebody's telling you, oh, I don't want to. I don't want. But to have this experience where you have come to understand and know the knowledge you know, of God's forgiveness, you go, wow, how profound and how powerful that is. And, and again, as Jesus said, those that, that have been forgiven much, what? They love much. Those that really comprehend how much God has forgiven you, you go, man, and love is made manifest in what? In wanting people to hear the gospel because heaven and hell are real places. And we're going to spend eternity in one of those two places. And to think that heaven is a free gift to all who'd receive it. And then we're here as an ambassador of Christ. And so as we get into chapter seven there, you know, I'm just reminded of Stephen, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You look at chapter seven and man, here's a guy that is just full of God in his life. And this is an opportunity for him to let it out. And in spite of all the good that we read here, just regarding Stephen, the religious leaders, they sought to what? To discredit him. They sought to silence him. And so they basically paid people to lie about him. That's not something that's uncommon in our world today. In Acts 6, 14, it says, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Man, they, those are not things that Stephen said. They're lies. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. And that's what Stephen does. This is one of the things that you know about someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to defend yourself. God will do that. And, but yet, as soon as something happens, Stephen could have stood right up and said, Hey, you guys are lying. You guys are, and then gone on the attack. I, you guys did this. You did this to Jesus, right? He could have said that because Caiaphas, probably the high priest at that time, the same person who, who stands over the trial of Jesus crucifixion, 
And all of a sudden, Stephen said, and you crucified. Remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 2? You guys, but does he do that? You go, no. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't go on the attack. What he does is he lets the word of God speak for itself. And that's one of the things I want to just encourage you today. You might be going, Pastor Mike, I'm not an eloquent speaker. You don't have to be. If you just know your Bible, matter of fact, if you read chapter seven, Stephen isn't even quoting like the apostle Paul will give you the verse, basically, what he's quoting, the Psalms or something in the Old Testament there. Stephen, how he starts Acts chapter seven, when they ask him this, and you look in verse one, it says, then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Or he was charged with, like I said, speaking against Moses, the law, and the temple, right? But, it's in, but Stephen says, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we, how do we see it played out? He didn't, like I said, he didn't strike back. He just let the Word of God speak for itself. So he basically just says this, hey, I got a story. Let me tell you a story. And he's going to begin, and we'll look at this here, and walk through this. I, I remember a, a time in my life, I had to think about this, you know, as, I, as what happened, you know, with Stephen, and at the end, they, they wanted to kill him. I had an opportunity to speak at uh, CSUB, and I don't know if it was their sociology department. They were hosting an event. It was for Mahatma Gandhi. It was a peaceable, um, you know, event where they invited, there was 27 different religions that were invited to be there that day. And I was invited to represent Christianity. But I was in the very middle, and, and there was basically like 13 people on each side of me. And it was in this like stadium seating. And there was a bunch of kids from Cal State, BC, and it was open to the community. There's over 300. It was standing room only. It was packed. And I remember that morning, I, I was driving there, my truck, and I was like, oh, God, what did I get myself into? I shouldn't have done this. I'm going to bomb. And I, I'm literally, I'm scared to death. I'm just praying, God, please. And as clear as a bell, I was sitting there praying right before I was going to get on my truck. And God just, Mike, only share my word. Don't give him anything else. Just speak the word. And it was like, okay. So I, I go in, they start the event. And it, it's a panel discussion. So the audience gets to ask questions and then all the different religions that are there get to answer. So when they kicked it off, they talked about Mahatma Gandhi and how, how peaceable, what a nice guy he was. And I didn't really know anything about him, but that, I wasn't there for that. I was there to represent biblical Christianity. So the first question, person stands up, they go, yes, I have a question for Pastor Mike. Very first question, the whole thing. So what is it? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Really? We're going to start a peaceable thing with that question. So I just, just felt the power of God. I just said, I go, the Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus speaking, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And then about... 300 people, if they'd had rocks, I probably would have been dead at that point. But I'll tell you this, out of all the questions, over 80% of the questions that day were directed to me. The moderator actually had to ask the people to ask the other people who had given up their time to speak to them as well. But nobody, they were, it was an attack against Christianity. Matter of fact, 
the, I was sitting next to the Jewish rabbi on my one side and an Indian guy that was into smoking peyote on the other side of me. And he said something. And so I start to look up something in the Bible and I'm looking at it. And then all of a sudden he goes, the moderator says, Pastor Mike, would you like to answer that question? I didn't even hear a question. So I said, I go, and I saw, I looked up and there was a lady standing up. I said, if the lady would ask the question again, I go, I would be more than happy to. And he said, stated, Pastor Mike, I guess what she had done is said something insulting to me. And what he took it as, is I was being gracious and giving her an opportunity to restate it. And he says, and in the spirit of Mahatma Gandhi, that was a great response, Pastor Mike. I was like, God, you're so good. I'm not even paying attention. And this is how God works, right? God is just a merciful, gracious God. Have you figured that out yet? Because that's what Stephen wants to point out to them. We look at you know this message here. Again, what, what he's telling me as you read through this, he's telling this audience here that there's been a history at the nation of Israel where God has revealed himself to them. And there's also within their history <laughs> the rejection of God and rebellion towards God. And so every statement, this is the thing I want to encourage you with today, every statement that Stephen made, he backed it up with the Word of God. He would basically say, and the Word of God says, and the Word of God says. And so they might not have liked his preaching, but they couldn't argue with the fact that Stephen knew his Bible. And all they had in that point was the Old Testament. And that's what he was taking them through. And again, did he quote chapter and verse? No, as you read through it, you go, no. But what does he do? Again, he walks them through it. If you break this down, I'll give you a little breakdown of the chapter here. And so verses one through eight, he's going to talk about Abraham. He's going to go and he's going to deal with how God chose Abraham. Did he choose Abraham because Abraham was somebody? Or did God take a nobody in Abraham and make a nobody a somebody? And that's exactly what he did. In verses nine through 16, he's going to deal with Joseph and how the Israel's Israelites came to Egypt. And then you think about Joseph and his connection to how so much like Jesus, right? Being rejected and then ultimately being put into, into bondage, into slavery, and then God raising him up. And you, you think about the, the connections there. Verses 17 through 44, he's going to spend a long time on Moses because that was one of the direct accusations that they had made that he didn't believe in, Stephen didn't believe in the law of Moses. So he'll take a lot of time there and deal with that. And then verses 45 through 50, he gives a reference to Joshua, David, and Solomon there. So he's just making this connection to taking them back. He's given them in one chapter, he's given them a whole overview of the Old Testament. And then he draws this conclusion in Acts 7, 51 through 53. And, and this is where it starts to take a turn to the South. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart, deaf of the truth, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? And that's powerful. And that could be true in our lives today. I think if there's a message of exhortation in our lives today, that would be the same thing. Are we resisting the Holy Spirit? Because like I said, it's not that you go, oh, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing this. It's not that you're setting out and doing these sins. Some of what God will be dealing with in our lives today is that we're not doing what God is calling us to do. Remember, the gospel was to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's us today. And we, again, people talk about in our country today, we went out yesterday, our family and laid wreaths out at the National Cemetery for Christmas. And they talked about, hey, we're just one generation away from losing our freedom because if we don't take the freedoms that we've earned, freedom isn't something that you just get. It, it was earned 
and people gave their lives for it. And if we don't take those truths and transfer them to the next generation, they go, we're going to lose our freedom. We're just one generation away from, from freedom being extinct. And you go, wow, it's really true. And the same thing's true with the gospel. We have a responsibility to take the gospel into the world. And so, again, taking that seriously. And he says in verse 52, he says, and name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. And in verse 53, it says, you deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. And so what was his defense? He'd been charged with speaking against Moses and the law, speaking against the temple. And his defense is just that, that history proves the very opposite. And I think that it's so important that as we look at this, you go, he, again, he didn't take it personally. He didn't make it a personal attack. He's going, this is what the word of God says. And then he challenged him with that. He says, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? Because God had been working for Israel again and again. We see repeated acts of mercy and patience and long suffering throughout Israel's history. And yet they repeatedly, they harden their hearts, they stiffen their necks, and they stop their ears to the work of God. And so when we read this chapter, like I said, I, I hope that it encourages you, that you recognize God's grace that was evident in Abraham's life. Here he is in Mesopotamia, right? He's a moon worshiper, and that God comes to him, that God chose him. It wasn't because he had everything going right in his life. It's God chose him. And then you think of Moses. Moses is doing great. And you look in, in Acts as a chapter where it tells us, when you think about the age of Moses, at 40 years of age, he kills an Egyptian. He ends up in Midian out on the backside of the desert, right? And here he is thinking, man, I'm basically, God's abandoned me, right? For 40 years of his life. And then God speaks to him and he tells him to go to Egypt and to communicate with Pharaoh and to tell him to let my people go. And you go, and it's God's choosing through his grace and through his mercy. Again, what do we see? Great passage of scripture. It reminds me of Exodus 34, 6 and 7, that God is slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness and inequity and transgression and sin. That we serve a forgiving God. God's very patient with us. Have you found that to be true in your own life? He is very patient. But there's a reminder, and, it, and this is the exhortation of this chapter, and I hope that we'd all take it to heart. There comes a point in time, and nobody knows it. You could say when you die, that, that's really the end. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance after death. But to think about this exhortation, that there is an end at some point where God, as Romans chapter 1, you know, so well states that God gave them over to a reprobate mind, right? There, there's a point when God is speaking to us, and he's speaking to us, and he's speaking to us, and we harden our heart, we won't listen, we can become just, we would never say that about ourselves, we can become just like the Sanhedrin here, these religious leaders, and blocking out the things that God is telling us to do. And I would just encourage you today, if there's something that God is telling you to do, do it. He's just demonstrating that he's patient, and that he's merciful, and that he's kind, and he's long-suffering. But there is a timeline on that, and nobody knows that exact moment in time, but God. But he definitely warns us and exhorts us of that. And again, and as verse 42, if you look down there in chapter 7, he says, then they turned away from them and they abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. Remember when Moses went up on the Mount, Mount Sinai and he's getting the Ten Commandments and the children of Israel are down in camp, right? And they take it and they fashion a golden calf, right? And again, you think about it, you go, gosh, 
what were they doing? It just demonstrates God was merciful in this moment in their life. But again, but there is a moment in time where God will stop. And we know there when God, where Moses came down from Mount Sinai, you know, and the law was given that day, what did it say that happened? 3,000 souls perished that day, right? And you go, it's serious business with God. His desire, as Peter writes, he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. But people are. They're going to perish because they've rejected God. They've rejected so great of God's plan of salvation. They've rejected him. They, they have, what is blasphemy? We think, what is the sin that will send a person to hell? Is blasphemy of what? He says blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, right? To reject the Holy Spirit in our life, to reject the work of the Holy Spirit. And you go, boy, it's something for all of us to take notice of, to sit up and, and thank God for his amazing grace. Because no matter if God's exhorting us today or encouraging us today, either, either way, it's all about grace. Because if God exhorts you today and he's going, hey, Mike, you're not right. You're not right in this area. Is, is, he, is that an act of judgment or is that an act of grace? That'd be grace, right? Because he's telling me because he wants me to what? To repent. So much of what we hear in churches today, it's warm and fuzzy and it's all since what we, we want to hear, but it's not what we need to hear. What we need to hear is the truth. And Stephen stood up and he told the people the truth. Did it get him killed? And you go, yes. But what, is, what does God's word say? To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. There, there's a special reward in heaven. You think of the crowns that you would get, the martyr's crown. Jesus, you think of Stephen, you think of Paul, the apostles, all but, but John received the martyr's crown in heaven. You go, not a bad thing in that regard. And so what he does, Stephen, through this, as we will walk through this, he talks about Israel's high point, you might say. He could have covered a lot of ground, but the, he talks about the choosing of Abraham. You can see that in verses two and three there. He says, in verse seven, he says, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. He says, our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. And then look at this in verse four. And he says, yeah. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and he lived in Haran until his father died. Did he, did Abraham go where God told him to go? You go, no, he went about halfway and then he sets up camp. Now, my question is, did God reject him? And you go, no, it says he stayed there until his father died. And it says, and then God brought him here to the land where you now live. And so he makes it halfway to the promised land. He settles there in Haran. But God does what? And, and this is interesting in the text there. It says, and God brought him. God brought him. Somehow God moved him. Have you ever had God move you? Maybe when you didn't want to necessarily go, or maybe where you weren't where you were supposed to be, and God moves you. And he does that in his grace. He does that in his mercy. He does that in his love. And I love that in verse 4. It says, then God brought him here to the land where you now live. What is he, what is he showing us? That God's a choosing God, that God's a gracious God. And that of all the people on this planet, God chose Abraham to inherit the promise, the promised land. And God's patience, it began right there, giving Abraham a little bit of, of an extra push along the way to get him where he wanted to go. And then you can go on, and I want to end there today, because like I said, we're going to continue on through this. But I want you to read through this chapter because it's so encouraging to think of Joseph there in, in verse nine, 
It says these patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. So again, what do we have? Is they're, The brothers, they're resisting the will of God. They were jealous that God was speaking to them through their brother Joseph, and they were even jealous to the point that they thought that God was going to someday use Joseph that and honor him in such a way that he would be superior to his brothers, and they didn't want that to happen. And so again, in verse 9 there at the end of the 9, and then in chapter, or excuse me, verse 10, it says, but God was with him, it says, and he rescued him from all of his troubles, and God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. So in other words, in and through this jealousy, you know, God was patient, God was merciful, and he kept working. And he was working for what? Their deliverance. So ultimately, they'll, their brother ends up in Egypt, and then when there's a famine in Israel, where do they end up? In Egypt. And you go, it's amazing. I just want to encourage you with that today, because maybe you're going through a difficult thing, and you're just feeling, man, you know what? I just, I don't understand the purpose and the plan, God. You go, that's okay. You don't have to. We walk by faith and not by sight. We trust him that even if you're in, the, in a world of hurt there, that somehow God can use that. You go, man, I was just, I was minding my own business. I was just doing what God told me to do. And I ended up in prison of all the places. And you go, God, while you're in imprisonment there, you were able to exercise what? Wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Comes from, right? And then to use that wisdom and then God bless your life to the place that you rise to the second power, right? And so much so that then when your family was in need, that now you're in a place where that you can go, amen, did he have to make a choice? They, what were his brothers? You read the story, you go, what, what was his brothers? They were concerned that what? That when they knew their, that Joseph was there, that Joseph was going to retaliate, right? He was going to get even with them. But Joseph, so much like Jesus, what does he do? He says, what you meant for evil God turned for good. And that's how God operates. That's what happens when we're walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about retaliation. It's about seeing God glorified no matter what we're going through. And I love that as we study through the book of Acts and you go, Stephen is a guy that's just like us. Like I said, he was a waiter who became a deacon who now is operating as a theologian. And you go, wow, that, that could be me. That could be you. That is a person that's living, what, in tune and in touch with the Holy Spirit. And you go, by doing what? Simply what we're doing today. As we feed on the Word of God, as we open up the Word of God, as we invite God in His Word to speak to us, we meditate upon it. Like I said, we, we could go so many different directions in this chapter because His Word is living, right? And it'll speak to you wherever you're at. And just continue to make that the habit of your life. Stephen was, what, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Faith comes by what? hearing. Hearing comes by what? The Word of God. Just stay in the Word of God and pray continually, God, just anoint me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit, and then trust Him as you go out into this world and you come in contact with people that you're praying. You go, Lord, is this the person you want me to talk with? Is this the person you want me to share with? And don't worry about the direction that it goes. So many times we try to psychoanalyze the events of our life as opposed to just going, man, God will use you every place. Is there any place God can't use you? And that's what we see in chapter 7. And then it just infuriated the religious leaders because they wanted to make this about the temple, right? And God was going through Stephen going, I don't dwell in temples. If I dwell in a temple, it's the temple of the human soul. 
It's in the heart and I'll be with you. And that's, uh, again, we'll dig into it a little bit more next week. Just wet the whistle for it. But I hope it it's something that you enjoy getting into. And I know the Lord will use it tremendously as you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the privilege we get to open it and study it together. We pray that, Lord, as we do, that it would just continue to shape our lives and, Lord, grow us into the people that you want us to be, that, God, you would remind us always, Lord, of your patience and your mercy and your kindness, Lord. We see that in the cross. It should have been me. It should have been us that were crucified. But, Lord, you took our place. You gave us life instead. May we appreciate that this week. And, Lord, may that grace just overflow our lives when we come in contact with other people. It's easy to get frustrated with people and want our way. But Lord, again, as we see in your word that you, as God, you humbled yourself to the point of becoming a man, to the point of death upon a cross. Lord, you walked in humility upon this earth. Your joy was to do the will of the Father. And Father, I pray that our joy, Lord, would be to do your will as well. And so, Lord, fill us with your presence, fill us with your peace. Lord, help us to enjoy as we walk with you this week. God, help us to take advantage of this Christmas season where people are open. There's so many different messages out there, but to draw people back to the fact that, Lord, you are our Emmanuel, that you're with us. And God, that could be anybody who would open their heart to you. Even if today, if there's people here in this sanctuary that don't know Jesus, that maybe you're watching online, you'd say, Pastor Mike, I need Jesus. That's the beauty of Emmanuel. If you open your heart to him and you confess your need for him, confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior, he'll come to you. He'll be with you. He'll be in you. And Father, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody today that needs you, they'd find you. We love you. We love this time of year. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for coming to earth and saving us. Thank you for everything that Christmas opens up for us, Lord. May we grow in that knowledge of Jesus, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.